welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode 73, recorded on May 27th, 2020. The Cloud Pod celebrates BigQuery's 10th birthday. Good evening, Ryan and Peter. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Yeah. How's a quarantine day 6,542 treating you all? Uh, quarantine is over here in Kansas City now that I'm recording out of Kansas City. So uh, apparently we cured COVID. So, yeah, great. And I was looking at the John Hopkins map before we started recording. It's it's very close to you. I'm not saying it's that far away. <laughs> well, the nice thing is when, you know, not too many people want to come to where you are. Eh, it's not a lot of uh, it's kind of like the city itself is socially distanced from other places because there's not just not a ton of international, even national travel in and out. Do you think it's how people felt in Montana when they, they were like, who are we going to distance from? We're already distant. Yeah. <laughs> I live on 10 acres of land. <laughs> what, what else could I possibly do? Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, Jonathan uh, will join us probably in a little bit. He's uh, struggling with the children who uh, don't like to go to sleep, uh, as we all do as parents. So I'm sure he'll pop in at some point at the most awkward moment to uh, provide us his British witticisms. <laughs> yeah, you can blame that on me since I made us record an hour earlier, so I'm not up till too late in the evening yeah i mean kind of pushy as a host from kansas city you're like I'm not <laughs> earlier i don't want to do this like i get it <laughs> using your much deserved clout don't listen to him yes <laughs> i mean yeah he's, he's got all the clout in the world well uh you know we've asked for many weeks to have a, a quiet week and we finally have a bit of a quiet week this week so we won't uh we won't be up till midnight today because we don't have that many show topics which is nice after build and uh the non-event that was summit so i'm kind of i'm kind of pleased that it will be a short episode tonight hopefully well unless of course we talk a lot <laughs> which happens too <laughs> let's jump into our first story it's a fantastic blog post here from uh aws on written by uh sysdig uh, and the partner network at AWS and published. This is the monitor AWS services used by Kubernetes with Prometheus and Promcat. Of course, many customers are adopting Prometheus as their monitoring standard because it offers the ability to gather metrics from any source via exporters, including providing detailed metrics specific to Kubernetes and other cloud-native tools. Uh, at the same time, those customers are using CloudWatch because Amazon services are only supported in CloudWatch. And so they need a way to ingest that data into Prometheus to give a single pane of glass uh, and this post covers an open source contribution from Sysdig to Yase, or yet another CloudWatch exporter. Uh, Yase is a Prometheus exporter designed to pull in CloudWatch metrics and enrich your existing Prometheus setup with AWS service metrics. Uh, Sysdig makes these available through the Promcat, uh, which is an open source uh, resource catalog for Prometheus monitoring. And the benefits of Yase compared to other exporters include auto-discovery resources via tags, automatic adding of tag labels to metrics, CloudWatch metrics with timestamps, concurrency options, and batch requests to reduce API throttling. Yeah, this is a much needed, um, I guess it's not really a service, but it's, you know, a, a contribution to the open source community. It's, I've always been sort of leery of adopting Prometheus just because of, which is an anti-pattern to a lot of, um, of people, but just because I've never been able to really seamlessly integrate into the one dashboard, which is the promise of Prometheus. There's always been those edge cases that you've had that, you know, you couldn't do and CloudWatch was one of them. Seemingly, you could solve that with the existing Prometheus, the official exporter. Uh, but anyone who's tried to use that 
quickly realizes that it just does not work for anything other than a very small deployment and it's very expensive. And so the yet another CloudWatch exporter, which I like the name, um, is, you know, it solves all that. It's, it allows the, the request into CloudWatch to be throttled and tunable. Um, and it also is, it allows the support of not doing everything, which is something that the previous, the previous one would do, you know, would, export all CloudWatch metrics for all EC2 instances, for example. Now you can do it by tag. You can do it with a little bit more um, grace than you could previously. So this is a great addition. will help people who, especially if they already have a Prometheus setup, which a lot of people do because of Kubernetes. Yeah, and we, that's one thing we see is just a bunch of people that already have that uh, commitment to Kubernetes and Prometheus, and now they want to extend that. So this is definitely going to be something where uh, bringing around to existing customers. I was most excited to see the reduced API throttling uh, with batch requests because anybody who's ever queried data from CloudWatch in any any amount of time uh, knows how expensive those API calls can get. And so batching them up uh, reduces some of that exposure to you uh, via this tool. So yeah, it's great to see Prometheus continue to take over the world as, along with uh, Kubernetes. AWS Backup supports new options for customizing backup selections. Uh, this allows backups for new services to be opt-in instead of opt-out, enabling Amazon customers to do it when they want to. Uh, this allows you to ensure that AWS Backup service coverage reflects exactly what you need and reduces your cost and scope of running AWS Backup in your accounts. You know how I know I'm a giant nerd who's been doing cloud infrastructure for too long? I'm excited by this this story. <laughs> 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 the fact that you can tune this to just automatically back everything up uh, and not have to chase someone down and, and, and then still having the option to exclude things and that this is, this, this solves such a pain point, you know, it can also be, you know, rope to hang yourself, but it's such a pain point. Yeah. The, the worst job I've ever been paid to do was writing innumerable backup scripts, running in Lambda, running on crons. There's always a way to, have these things start failing and then it's the last thing you want to be responsible for. This is awesome. The worst IT task that system admins always used to hate back when I used to do tape backups was uh, be the guy who had to test restores on a weekly basis. Yeah. Like that person used to hate his life because it would would never fail. You know, he'd find that one tape that was bad, have to go, you know, back to other tape systems and find the data and restore it back. Like just, Backups were always bad, but now it's all much easier with the cloud. So I appreciate that, especially those VTLs that run on top of S3. That's huge. Yeah, I really like that opt-out model, too. You know, you don't really see mm-hmm. that a ton. We always did opt-in when you're doing tag-based, um, but opt-out is great. Just being able to convince, you know, knowing that things are going to be backed up um, when you're in ephemeral environments and people don't know what they have to do to make sure their stuff's getting backed up. You can now query for AWS regions, endpoints, and more using the AWS Systems Manager Parameter Store. Uh, this is in response to requests from Amazon customers. AWS has made information about their regions and services available programmatically via Parameter Store. This allows automation to be able to tell if an Amazon service is available in a specific region and gather the endpoint information. Uh, SSM Parameter Store integration to services such as CloudFormation and Lambda will provide simplified paths to AWS service discovery. And the data is available to you now, and you can start using it today at no additional charge unless you're using those uh, premium parameters. Uh, then you might be paying a little extra. But that's okay. <laughs> I was realizing as I was reading through this that you know there's been no way to programmatically tell if you can use a service in a specific region. 
before this. So you always had to do kind of like, can I use this? And you'd have to go troll through the docks and see if it's available in that region or not. And, you know, so many times do you get bitten with, you know, an architecture and then expanding to a new region. Then you realize you can't use part of it because that service just isn't available there yet. Um, The integration with SSM parameter store into CloudFormation and Lambda, you know, to automatically detect the endpoints of of certain services and not having to configure a terrible mapping or or some sort of like, you know, Lambda environment variable or, you know, orchestration in order to do the right thing. So this is great. That's it for Amazon this week, guys. See, I told you it was a short show. That was quick. So quick. (laughs) Everyone's on break. Everyone took Memorial Day weekend off. That's what happened. Uh, Azure uh, has a couple of interesting stories. We missed one uh, last week. We talked about MS Build, and uh, it's geeky enough, and I am kind of nerding out about it, so I thought I'd cover it here this week. Uh, But there are several new HoloLens 2 uh, capabilities, including expanded markets, uh, new Azure Mixed Reality services now more broadly available to you, uh, and much, much more in the HoloLens world. So HoloLens, of course, is uh, Microsoft's version of uh, augmented reality technology for enterprises, uh, similar to companies like Magic Leap uh, and others. Uh, basically, this is a new availability for the new countries. Uh, some of those highlights included Italy, Netherlands, Switzerland, Spain, Austria, Sweden, and more. Uh, online sales for the HoloLens 2 will start on the Microsoft Store apparently in July, uh, which I was surprised about because uh, I you know, the, the HoloLens 1 was a uh, very difficult to get hold of. Uh, you can now leverage it in enterprise applications, including Windows Autopilot, MDM applications, domain traffic, includes improved hand tracking, support for additional system voice commands to control HoloLens hands-free, and expanded USB Ethernet enables uh, support for 5G and LTE networking, uh, which is pretty great. They've also made the Azure Spatial Anchors now generally available. This is the global spatial anchor that you can set up in Azure uh, to provide real-time, real points in the world uh, that the Azure... Uh, HoloLens will then connect, interact with and persist 3D objects onto. So that's kind of cool. I think, uh, you know, that <laughs> Pokemon Go game on steroids. <laughs> uh, as well as a new Azure remote rendering capability that lets enterprise developers and in industries, including manufacturing, engineering, construction, and retail, bring the highest quality 3D content and interactive experiences to mixed reality devices such as HoloLens 2, leveraging the compute power of Azure to render even the most complex models in the cloud and stream them in real time to your device. Uh, and this is now available for you in preview. So that's some really cool stuff uh, that really powers this HoloLens too. Uh, you know, also powers some of their gaming initiatives, Xbox stuff. Uh, all that technology is kind of getting coalesced into single solutions, all powered by Azure's cloud. That's pretty powerful in the market. I can't wait till I'm playing video games with these things. That's all I could think about. The the video, uh, I guess, advertisement that that accompanied this announcement was fantastic because it was, you know, it's it's all, you know doctored and, and it's not real but i mean if you if they can really realize the vision um you know i don't know what it's like to experience it in, in real life but if they can if they can realize what they're trying to do like it really is like watching sci-fi movies and like f- thinking the future is now because it is it is just really 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 powerful to see that augmented reality projected in in, in your experience and how functional they've made it in that advertisement so it's great well, I think it's really strong that they've basically made HoloLens enterprise focus first versus, you know, Magic Leap was very much trying to be a consumer play very early. Um, and I think, you know, they've struggled to get adoption. They just raised a down round of only $350 million raise just in business at Magic Leap <laughs> as they pivot to enterprise and try to now make an enterprise product that works. Um, but, you know, from what I've heard, HoloLens uh, is pretty amazing. And I have some friends at Microsoft who've had a chance to play with it, and they they just rave about how amazing the technology is. And if they can make it available for enterprises and get the price down over time, it'll definitely show up in your next Xbox console 
um, or instead have a device in the future that you can take around uh, with your or in your workplace, you know, like the you know, like it's amazing to see, like, you know, if you're manufacturing, instead of reading instructions, you just have it displayed, the, you know, the action that you need to take next in the final product. So it'll it'll change the way we do things fundamentally if it gains in popularity. Yeah, one of my uh, colleagues down in Australia for the last several years has been running basically a, a small company to help large industry use uh, virtual reality tools to do safety training for like industrial machinery. You don't want to make a mistake with that stuff. And so uh, just like that, I can see this fitting right in. The uh, Azure Arc enabled Kubernetes Preview and new ecosystem partners is now available. Of course, last year, Azure announced Azure Arc and Preview, which is a set of technologies that unlock new hybrid scenarios for customers who are bringing Azure services and management to any infrastructure across data centers, edge, and multi-cloud. Um, this is very similar to uh, Azure Stack, which is their uh, hi- hardware partnership with Dell and HPE uh, to basically provide Azure capabilities in your data center. Uh, this is a bit of a hybrid between Outposts and the Azure uh, Stack, as well as Anthos. And so this is really a way of running uh, Azure services on any hardware and any data center. So your multi-cloud capabilities, uh, really, and this Kubernetes capability in particular is very much a competitor of Anthos. Uh, based on the feedback and excitement from all the customers in the preview, they were able to deliver Azure Arc enabled Kubernetes in preview. With this, anyone can use Azure Arc to connect and configure Kubernetes clusters across customer data centers. And the Azure Arc integration partners include Red Hat, Kubernetes, and Rancher uh, to ensure the Azure Arc works for key platforms customers use today. So I do suspect that we'll see uh, some really interesting Azure Arc use cases in the next 12 months. Yeah, Rancher got in there. That's kind of a surprise. It's a uh, Rancher has been definitely was one of those companies that didn't think was going to make it <laughs> as Kubernetes kind of took over the world. But they pivoted early enough that they were able to catch some of that uh, that fire that Kubernetes was on. Yeah, able to deliver that. So we'll see. I do find it interesting that, you know, the promise of Kubernetes and multi-cloud deployments and that is now being kind of, I don't know, about piggybacked is the right word, but you see, you know, Arc and Anthos coming out. So that's sort of leveraging the the cloud services as multi-cloud. So the individual, you know, you think about the promise of, you know, a cloud hyperscaler and it's that automated infrastructure or an API driven infrastructure. And so the, really they're picking the value out and, and providing that across any cloud for compute, um, which is really interesting. I'm curious what this is going to do in the market long-term. Well, I think what you're seeing is what we kind of always knew is that the, the hardware was commodity. <laughs> and so it's all about the control plane and the APIs you deliver to the customer and by now making saying, look, we're going to give you the same Kubernetes ecosystem across any cloud provider, but give you a common control tier and a control, common API layer, um, that kind of really democratizes the entire public cloud space. So I think it's interesting in a lot of ways and where they're kind of going with these. And that's why I'm, I, I do suspect that Peter's right. We'll eventually see something from Amazon because to not do it, I think, would be a huge mistake. Yeah, but while you're the, while you're the market leader, the, the, the people who want... Uh, it, to be easy to move from one cloud to another it are the second and third place contenders, not the number one. So they got to, they got to be, you know, there's got to be serious pressure, I think, for them to uh, go away from that model of just supporting Amazon and your on-prem. I know. I think there's a lot of value in being the API for this though. And I think kind of giving up that to GKE or to Anthos or to Arc is a mistake. <laughs> I think that's yeah, what they No, I agree with you. By not yeah, adopting totally EKS early enough, I think that's why they, you know, they're behind on Kubernetes. And I think 
by not making ECS multi-cloud and on-premise available, I think they've lost an opportunity where they could have made ECS be a lot much bigger play in the market, uh, which I think is really a shame. So I, I see them making the same mistake in containers, thinking that their strategy is better. And I, well, unfortunately, the market's saying otherwise, but we're yeah. here. I, I haven't been able to find pricing yet on ARC. Have you found pricing? We were not able to find pricing, mostly because it's in preview, and typically uh, Azure doesn't announce pricing for preview. I'm curious if it's going to be uh, a blocker to do testing as Anthos is. I mean, if they were smart, they give it away for free. <laughs> I mean, that's how you start, right? That's yep. how you start. First one's always free. Yeah, well, just charge after people have written 100,000 lines of custom code to run their environments with it. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there's been some changes even in the um, the GKE licensing and some of the Anthos uh, stuff where they've started charging for clusters that are multi-regional uh, and different things where those are all free, you know, and, and one of the patterns that Google's always kind of used is, you know, just spin up a new cluster for these things separated by clusters. And then they come out and start charging you for that use. Uh, that was a bit of a, a kind of a dirty move that they did a few months back. Uh, so, you know, free works until you try to charge for free and then it becomes a problem. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah, we will. Hey, everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Well, speaking of Google, let's move on to uh, the world of Google. Uh, the first one is uh, Google Cloud has apparently won a defense contract uh, with its Anthos multi-cloud management tool. Uh, of course, Google dropped out of the Jedi contract, which was the uh, heavily sought after DOD defensive contract, uh, but they have apparently won a seven-figure deal with the DOD's Defense Innovation Unit, or DIU, uh, which is a big win for the cloud unit and Thomas Curry and over there at Google. Uh, while specifics were not released, it does involve Anthos to secure the DIU's multi-cloud environment. Uh, and this is also a partner-led initiative with Netscope and Google uh, taking advantage of this together to help deliver the service across the three environments. And there's a quote here from... Uh, Google, the multi-cloud solution will be built on Anthos, allowing DIU to run web services and applications across Google Cloud, Amazon Web Services, and Microsoft Azure, while being centrally managed from the Google Cloud console. Uh, this may lead to future business with GCP and the DIU or other branches of the DoD in the future. So this is a potentially very lucrative deal, especially when it's in the innovation unit. So seven figures, is that like three Anthos deployments then? Yeah. <laughs> So far, that's all they've disclosed. There might be other parts to it, but the only thing they talked about was Anthos publicly. Yeah, Anthos, and if you know, they talked about the strategy being across all all of Microsoft, Amazon, and Google. So it makes sense that it would be just Anthos. Well, this this kind of directly feeds into what I was talking about. That I think Amazon's missing out by not having a Kubernetes control tier across multi cloud because they could have won this deal too and have yep. the same thing. Yeah, I mean, they're still going to get their money as Anthos is still deploying in. Uh, on into Amazon on EC2, but you know, like that's yeah, yeah. Really, it's deploying onto Azure, unless the uh, <laughs> the contract uh, it's overturned goes the other way. Yeah, yeah. 
I'll just get dragged out into the next administration, I'm sure. It'll just start over again. Our next announcement is about cloud functions. Uh, serverless VPC access was made generally available in December, uh, allowing cloud functions to reach into private IP space of a VPC network. Uh, this new feature for VPCs is, allows you to route all or internal-only egress traffic to the connected VPC network. This allows you to route all internal-only egress traffic to the connected VPC. And they are extending this with support for ingress settings, which allows you to control what traffic reaches your cloud functions, allowing you to run private cloud functions, and you can also integrate them with VPC service controls and organizational policies to control movement of your company's data. Uh, so this is actually kind of nice to see a lot of really tightening down of uh, function access to VPCs and vice versa. We've seen th- similar things on the Amazon space with uh, private links and, and endpoints and endpoint control policies. Uh, so definitely seeing Google will see that's a, a super important thing to do uh, on the serverless side as well. Yeah, until we get to the point where all of the uh, the different compliance standards aren't assuming you're on an un, you're on a trusted network or you have to be on a trusted network uh you just need these features it just makes things so much easier to get through audits yeah i was really surprised that this wasn't a feature already when when this was announced uh, you know it's one, since i'm not a heavy gcp user um so i was really surprised I'm like oh they they didn't have this and so like how limiting if you're in that environment and have to deal with compliance at all this will hopefully make a lot of people happy because serverless is great. Yeah. The, uh, this one I'm actually really excited about. So uh, Google has released a new open source tool to help Windows users and admins to access and manage Windows VMs running in their compute engine. Uh, the, this is the new IAP desktop. Uh, is a Windows app that allows you to manage multiple remote desktop protocol connections to Windows VM instances running on Google Cloud. The IAP desktop takes advantage of the existing identity-aware proxy service, which can help you control access to apps and VMs running on Google Cloud. IAP works by verifying user identity against IAM and the context of a request to determine if that user should be allowed to access an application or VM. Uh, All RDP connections are automatically encrypted and tunneled via the IAP, so you can access VMs without exposing RDP ports publicly or even have a public IP address on the node itself. And they've made this open source and available to you on GitHub. Uh, So you can make pull requests and do bug fixes, etc. There's a lot of really cool uh, RDP solutions out there in the market that you might be able to take advantage of uh, the same capability in the future. So Glad to see this one from Google supporting that zero trust remote admin access story. Yeah, anything that sort of, you know, removes us from the days of using, you know, specific protocols to access our our infrastructure. And so we can actually apply application level protections and do evaluations at runtime. Like, should I have access? And um, without, you know, issuing secrets necessarily, you know, it's this is this is great. I love to see this pattern being adopted more and more and more. Yeah, are we going to see? And I mean, we, I guess they kind of have a little bit of an IAP with uh, some of the integrations they've done with ALB on AWS. But I feel like this should be a pattern that all the providers have made pretty standard. I mean, the whole zero trust initiative and the the identity aware proxy service that Google has is really cutting edge stuff that you know nothing comes close on the Amazon side as I've seen or Azure even. Yeah, you get touches of it with, you know, uh, systems manager and and session managers, naming, Um, you know, like where you can, you know, access a session. But yeah, nothing, nothing with the full functionality here. Well, uh, our show title story is here. BigQuery has turned 10, you guys. Happy birthday, BigQuery. It's a 10th year birthday here in May. So last show of May, we had to celebrate the birthday. Uh, of course, it was in early days. It was an internal Google product because if you're thinking about GCP timeline, uh, 
BigQuery is older than GCP. <laughs> least, yeah. The current incarnation of GCP, the Google, old Google Cloud app thing that you, no one ever used, uh, may have been around the same time. But uh, from its early days as an internal Google product to its current status as a petabyte scale data warehouse helping customers in Google make informed business decisions, it's been a class of its own. Uh, some highlights of BigQuery in the days. Uh, it was originally built to perform big tasks uh, using SQL. Uh, this is a huge step at the time is the only thing available to you was you're using a small database using SQL server or sorry, SQL language or using MapReduce. Uh, Hadoop was still emerging at the time. And so for large queries, you had to put your on your spelunking hat and use MapReduce to go find the data. Uh, MapReduce was, of course, tough uh, for complex problems. And so they developed internally a tool called Sawzall, apparently to run on top of MapReduce to simplify and optimize those tasks. Uh, but this wasn't an interactive capability. And then they built uh, internally a tool called Drexel, uh, which is BigQuery's forerunner to serve Google's internal data analysis needs. And then Drexel became the BigQuery uh, query engine. And by the time BigQuery was launched, it was the most popular internal product uh, at Google by the Googlers. Uh, they also spearheaded two file formats that are pretty popular now, including Parquet, uh, which I have heard of, and Capacitor, which I have not. Uh, but apparently, <laughs> they are both columnar approaches to dealing with data and semi-structured data. Uh, and in honor of the birthday, there are several events and activities happening around the BigQuery ecosystem. Uh, the first is, of course, the BigQuery Data Challenge, uh, which is a monthly community challenge uh, of puzzles and different trips and uh, tricks and techniques you can use with BigQuery. Uh, if you do those, you can win a prize. And also, uh, to get you into BigQuery, they're now offering you a discount. Uh, this lets you purchase 500 BigQuery slots uh, for $500 per month for the first six months, uh, which represents over a 95% discount from your current monthly prices. Uh, so they want to get you into that BigQuery thing on its birthday and take a, take a look at what it can do for you. Uh, that John Hopkins data we mentioned earlier in the show uh, has also available to you in BigQuery. Apparently, you can uh, do quite a bit with that as well there. So lots of opportunities to use public data sets in BigQuery. Just play around with it, have a good time, uh, and see if it makes sense for your business, because it probably does. Another reason you could tell I'm a giant nerd for these things is that I play around with BigQuery, BigQuery for fun. Like it makes no sense, but uh, like the things that you can pull out of data sets that are publicly available on this tool are just amazing. And so it's it's really fun. I have friends who are, are taking you know the COVID data specifically and, and doing some amazing visualizations on that data and reporting and being able to really understand how you know the viruses hit home in their areas, filtering in the ways that they want to. And so, I mean, it's as far as running big data queries, like it is the easiest tool to use and it is phenomenal. You can also use BigQuery on the back end and Google Sheets on the front end and very easily and quickly set up a little uh, capability to visualize your AWS spend, which I always thought was kind of fun. <laughs> Just dumping our, dumping our AWS uh, uh, reports into there works pretty well. They should make that. A, they should actually just make that a quick start. Like you, yeah. Go to BigQuery and say, "Here, import your Cur file, <laughs> and yep. see what we tell you about your bill." And we'll also tell you how much you could save on Google. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Definitely check out BigQuery if you haven't. Uh, it's definitely one of the top features of Google Cloud, uh, right after Kubernetes and some of the uh, security capabilities they have that no one else does. So, uh, happy birthday once again! I'm glad to uh, see you turn ten, and uh, look forward to your next ten years here at the Cloud Pod. Well, Dell Technologies' uh, Cloud One file system for Google Cloud is now generally available uh, and ready for your production use. This collaboration between Dell and Google helps organizations migrate high-scale and enterprise business-critical file-based workflows to Google Cloud. Uh, 
I, I didn't really understand what this was because <laughs> I hadn't heard of it, but apparently this is what's happened to Isilon after Dell acquired them. Uh, 1FS for Google Cloud is powered by the Isilon 1FS file system from Dell. It's a highly versatile scale-out storage solution that seeds up access to large amounts of data while reducing cost and complexity. So for those of you who've done a lot of stuff with data or video data in particular, uh, you probably are very familiar with Isilon, NAS, uh, as well as other high-performance needs for uh, file systems. This is now available to you in the Google Cloud, which I think is pretty great. Uh, the Isilon technology has been pretty impressive for a very long time. So I do am glad to see the type of technologies available to you on Google. Did you do any Isilon uh, in your day, Ryan? <laughs> I have used Isilon, and I have. It's one of those things where it was always an edge case in our previous footprints, and so we just didn't implement it well, and it was always a nightmare. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, when you have uh, you know exabytes of NetApp data, I suppose mm-hmm. you know Isilon's just a just a nuisance. <laughs> it's it's out. There was a, there was another one that was a spinoff of Oracle, not Isilon, but I can't remember what was it. Oracle was the main investor. I can't remember. Pillar. Yes, we used that for the online backup company that I was with for a little while, and uh, it was just it's not fun. <laughs> it's, not, it's not fun. I, uh, I, so there was a, a period there where there was like a bunch of storage companies kind of coming out to out to the market. Compellent was one of them. I don't remember them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were their whole thing was that you know they would do data quality of service by putting it on different parts of the spindle. So you know the data you needed to access faster would be on the outside of the spindle. Yeah. And, and as you're like li- listening to the presentation and you're like you know storage, you know how that dates. It, and you're just like this is such bullshit. <laughs> like <laughs> like who's who's buying this stuff? Well, apparently Dell did. So there you yeah. go. Uh, and then I was the, I was swayed by three par, so we ended up with three par storage over EMC and NetApp uh, back in the day. And, uh, but and then we that did, became HP, right? It became HP, yeah. And we uh, we did kick the tires on Pillar as well, but you know we didn't go that direction because three par was a better deal at the time. But yeah, reminiscent my my old data center days that I don't miss. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, if you are cutting edge on Java, which apparently no one is because uh, everyone's still on Java 8, uh, but if you are cutting edge and you want Java 11 on Google Cloud Functions, uh, that's now available to you in beta. Uh, you can use Java to build business-critical apps and integration layers and deploy functions in a fully managed environment complete with access to resources in a private VPC network. The Java functions scale automatically based on your load, and you can write HTTP functions to respond to HTTP events and background functions to process event source from various cloud and GCP services such as PubSub, Cloud Storage, Firestone, and more. Uh, so there you go. That is available to you now. Java 11, if you're cutting edge and like to bleed a lot. <laughs> Just in time for Java 12, I'm sure, too. Yeah, exactly. I can't keep up with the Javas. Feels like just yesterday someone was touting me on the benefits of Java 9, and so I decided to check it out fairly recently because you know i move so quick so quick (laughs) yeah uh so yeah to find out they're just released java 11 i'm like well why do i even bother (laughs) do you think google will support uh, coretto at some point in the future i'd like to get on that coretto bandwagon on my gcb functions maybe well that is it for new topics this week as i mentioned a very quick show uh tcp lightning round mr peter Object replication public preview for Azure Blob storage. I mean, again, have they not seen the Blob movie? You don't want the Blob to replicate. It takes <laughs> over things. You get stuck in it. It takes over buildings. It's really bad. Uh, and it's super fun in black and white, by the way, too, because it's originally a black and white movie. I think they colorized it though at one point, but 
Uh, I remember first seeing it in black and white as a kid. When and, uh, I still still sticks with me that it looked really strange. When <laughs> <laughs> they colorized it, was it green or pink? Brown. When they colorized it, brown. It. brown. Yeah. Uh, change feed with full database operations for Azure Cosmos DB. I mean, I guess that's a way not to deliver Kafka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I get, I just get the, uh, you know, the, the visualization of just cramming data in the database as fast as possible. I, I don't understand why <laughs> this is necessary, but mm, what do I know? Yeah. What about, what do you think about point in time restores for Azure Cosmos DB? I mean, I guess that's the reason why you need it, Ryan. <laughs> right there. <laughs> they, gave you, they gave you the use case right after this first story. This makes total sense now. <laughs> you got to, you know, you got to basically restore the database, last snapshot, and then you roll the change feed forward. Right. And that's your point in time. Done. Solved. Sorted. Backups are so easy. Oh, so easy. <laughs> oh, time to. Go with Amazon Transcribe, now supporting vocabulary filtering for real-time transcription. Okay, we can real-time transcribe the podcast now and filter out all of Ryan's swears. (laughs) I was hoping this would benefit Jonathan, just because, you know, now he wouldn't have to go through all the editing nightmares. Mm -hmm. I think it could help him filter out all of my ums. (laughs) I bet there's a lot of ums. Amazon Chime SDK adds data messages for real-time signaling. I mean, I guess there's one way to get that KPI up that you need to show messages processing through Chime. Just build SDKs and then say, use it as a data bus. Perfect. (laughs) You just hope somebody writes uh, too many bad loops with your SDK and then everybody's using it. AWS Global Accelerator is now available in two additional regions. You keep using that global word, but I don't think you know what it means. (laughs) Now I get it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Amazon QLDB now supports real-time streaming. We clearly don't understand what Bitcoin is because when I do a Bitcoin transaction, I have to wait like 45 minutes for three or four people to certify that I've actually completed my transaction. So real time doesn't really seem to fit the use case of of, uh, cryptocurrencies. I don't get it. Isn't it kind of? No, it's a private version. So it it does its own validations, which is why it works. But again, it defeats the whole purpose. (laughs) It does, doesn't it? As long as you trust Amazon, you're fine. Just trust. Just trust. Trust the hyperscalers. I mean, the, the company says, you know, plan for failure. Yes, I trust them tremendously. That's why I put retry logic <laughs> on my code. <laughs> what could go wrong? Other exponential backoffs in there. Amazon Virtual Private Cloud now supports bring your own IPv6 addresses. You know, I, I didn't even know this was a thing. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, yeah. I should be able to get from Aaron an IPv6 block. Hadn't even thought about it because everyone's so worried about IPv4 still. But I guess if I owned one, I would potentially want to bring it to Amazon. So it's because no one really still understands IPv6. So if you're bringing your own versus using Amazon, it's like no one knows. No one can tell. Yeah, Poor, I keep looking for IPv8 to help you know make it more user friendly. Have you advanced enough to be using IPv6? And still building architectures where you care about the IP address. I want to talk to that guy. 
And the only reason why I enabled IPv6 on the PlayPod website is it's the only way you can do it with some mobile uh, devices on certain networks because they don't have enough IPv4 addresses. Yeah. So if you can't, if you can't provide IPv6, they get a lovely white page <laughs> when they try to hit the website. So that's my, that's most of my experience IPv6 so far is making mobile work. Yeah, I did it once three years ago for the exact same reason. I've never done it again. I just, mm-hmm. I've never had the use case. Uh, AWS announces custom chat retention policies for Amazon Chime. I mean, you want to retain retain those few messages you get a day, I guess. That one conversation I had, yeah, let's let's keep that around for seven days. Yeah, I, I mean, like there's it. a lawyer out there who's going. Thank God, if we ever get sued and someone wants our Chime messages, we now have uh, retention policies for it. <laughs> Some privacy lawyers. They're probably saying the opposite. They're probably saying, oh, no, now that they're, it's capable, we have to do it. <laughs> Azure Monitor logs, IntelliSense improvements are now available. I mean, most people have the IntelliSense not to use Azure Monitor logs, but... I can't follow that. That's great. <laughs> Speaking of Azure Monitor logs, uh, what about the new experience for agents that is now available? Is that new experience terrible? <laughs> Might be. <laughs> and the uh, Service Bus Explorer on the Azure portal is now available in preview. Wait, 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 wait. You mean there's a way that I can send messages into a queue and then I can explore it and actually see how many messages are in my queue? I don't have to like process how many I dumped into the queue and then see how many I received and see if those numbers match? Amazon, no. you lied to me all this time. <laughs> I don't understand. And the betrayal of Justin is complete. (laughs) And my savior was Azure. Oh, so rough. (laughs) And uh, speaking of new experiences, how about the uh, log analytics new query experience? Azure's really into this logs this week, man. Telesense experience for agents. Now a new querying experience. Just. I mean, someone's trying to actually use logs on Windows. <sighs> Those poor bastards. Well, when a lot of things go wrong, you got to figure out how sometimes. Yeah, I guess so. You know, it's only between those 3,000 servers restarted for no reason messages in my event logs. So. <laughs> All right. That concludes our round. And I got to give it to Justin. Yeah. G, the wit. The vocabulary, it was all there tonight. <laughs> the overall package, yeah, I agree. But, so now, typically, we're not, we're not scoring if Jonathan's not here. So now oh. that was that was typically because you're not here. Then you're when you're not here, Peter, we can't score it because that's unfair. But so you, as the owner of the TCP Lightning Round, you could still score it to me because it was so such an epic show. Yeah, I'm scoring it. I'm scoring it. It's fine. I'm down with it. <laughs> I'll, take yes. I'll take the point. I'm not going to yeah. argue with the man. He's, he's awesome. All right. That also officially puts Justin in the lead, just in case you were wondering about his motivations oh, yeah. at all. Yeah, it did totally. <laughs> and then I also, I also won that uh, that summit prediction show last week on a technicality too. So I'm yeah. just on top, on fire, on fire. How old uh, do you think this replay shirt is? Oh, that's like year two, correct? Is it? Wow. I have no idea. I just realized I was wearing it, looking at mm-hmm. myself in the camera. Yeah, everyone, everyone who's on in the audio world right now is loving this conversation that we can for your shirt. <laughs> like we can't get the year to uh, replay oh. shirt. Yes. So we'll put a picture of it on. Yeah. We'll put a picture in the show blog. Yeah. In the show. Yeah. Perfect. 
All right, guys. Well, that's another fantastic episode of uh, the lightning round. Apparently, Jonathan's kids uh, didn't go to sleep in time to join us. So uh, he's uh, he's AWOL this week. But uh, I was really that. expecting him to like pop in right the second. Oh, yeah, I, I was totally <laughs> expecting him to pop in like on the last two lightning rounds, drop a bomb down and Peter be like, Jonathan wins. That's why that's what I expected to have happen. It uh, d- did not happen. So <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> that would have been it would be kind of epic because I. It, yeah. To. all right guys well we'll see you next week uh here at the cloud pod night guys see ya see you, everyone and that is the week in cloud we'd like to thank our sponsor foghorn consulting subscribe on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag the cloud pod or join our slack channel go to our website thecloudpod.net for sign up instructions